Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, Positively Pop Culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner. And I'm KW Taylor. This week, we're talking about WKRP in Cincinnati, Wheel of Time, and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. So, so very different. <laughs> yes, yeah, we tend to do that a lot. <laughs> yep. And also, welcome back. I'm so happy to have you back. And we're Thank you. Yeah, it's nice to be back. Ready for the new year. Ready for the new year. Thank you so much to Rachel for filling in a couple episodes ago. It was a great episode. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, we had fun, but we missed you. So we're excited that you're back. We'll have Hooray. to do one, all three of us, yes. sometime soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Well, you've mentioned WKRP in Cincinnati before, <laughs> but I still like have no real clue what it is beyond a sitcom about a radio channel. <laughs> Is that correct? Radio station. They're radio called stations. stations. <laughs> They're called stations. They My bad. Called. That's okay. <laughs> you are you are such a millennial. <laughs> yes, this is, I just finished watching this. Very frequently, my husband and I will have like one old, or or not really old necessarily, this one was old, but we'll have like one sitcom that we're rewatching, something just for like casual viewing that we've already seen or one of us has already seen or it's been mm -hmm. forever since we've seen it. And I don't think I've seen this show in its entirety since I was super tiny, like not necessarily as long ago as it was on, but I was at least elementary school or junior high or something when it was when I last saw it. So, okay. Yeah. So this is WKRP in Cincinnati was a sitcom from 1978 to 1982. Okay. And being an Ohioan of a similar, not, not Cincinnati specifically, but enough of the region that I felt, you know, an affinity for, hey, that's like, I know where they're talking about and I know where that's at. So that yeah. was one of the appeals of it. And I did do college radio when I was in undergrad. And okay, cool. I have volunteered for various like PBS and NPR type things over the years and stuff. And obviously podcasting is all in the same milieu. So I just like the radio thing and the audio entertainment thing. And because of the era that it's set, a lot of the music that's featured on the show is stuff that I am at least familiar with, or there's little Easter eggs about musicians and bands that I like, because it was supposed to be a top 40 station, although they would play some classic rock. It was kind of like generic rock and some R&B was their format. Okay. But of course, like any good sitcom about a workplace, the the characters are all terribly dysfunctional, not very good at their jobs, <laughs> and most of it is about their friendships or frenemieships or frustrations with each other. <laughs> and they're also not a very successful station. So it's like okay. always about the struggles of being low in the ratings or having all these problems. So the premise really is set up that it had been a like easy listening station, like not really classical, but like like instrumental music for old people, basically. Okay. <laughs> Until this new program director gets hired. And his name is Andy, and he's played by Gary Sandy. And he's been hired to turn the station around and make it profitable and, and get it to be higher in the ratings. So his first step is we're going to be top 40. We're going to appeal to the kids. We're going to change literally everything about this. But they're going to keep some of the same on-air talent and the same employees. So making that transition is really hard for everybody else, and they resist it. Mm -hmm. Especially the general manager, Mr. Carlson, played by Gordon Jump. 
he is kind of buffoonish and clueless and he's he's only running the station because his mother owns it (laughs) and that is kind of an interesting point is that his mom is this big business tycoon and this is the late 70s and it's kind of a big deal and the idea is that she's inherited this but she's really killing it like she's like the scary boss lady like everyone is frightened of her and no one wants her to be mad at what they're doing so that so mr carlson her son just kind of runs it like he's very seldom doing real work in his office he's very good natured everybody likes him but he just kind of is the clueless like dad character basically (laughs) and then the the main dj is dr johnny fever played by howard hessman and that's not his real name that's his on air sign. Okay. And he had been doing this old people music uh, format, but he's not really like that. And he's kind of a counterculture type person. So when they switch to rock, he's very excited. And he just, he always seems like he's kind of out of it. He does the morning shift, but he clearly does not function well in the mornings. And <laughs> he's just kind of a little burnout, basically. And then there's a news guy, Les Nesman, played by Richard Sanders. He is, he loves news, but he's very bad at it. He can't pronounce words correctly. He's very nerdy. He's really irritating. And he is probably my least favorite character, to be honest. Okay. (laughs) But he's that type of character that you kind of need. He's almost the, if you made an analog to like The Office, he's almost like the, the Gabe character or anybody who's just particularly nerdy and no one likes, but he really tries hard. So you can't completely fault him. Okay. And then in an interesting kind of like, I think this is a subversion of some tropes. Jennifer is the station receptionist and she's played by Lonnie Anderson and she's blonde and she's very attractive and she's like kind of, you know, exploited a little bit, but she's incredibly intelligent. She is apparently the highest paid employee at the station. She sort of protects everybody. And also she will not take any guff like any anytime anybody like is too harassy of her or whatever, she just shuts them down and is incredibly powerful. And there's kind of the idea that she does this sort of menial job because she knows she's actually the one sort of in charge of the whole thing. <laughs> and she knows more about what's going on than anybody else. But mm-hmm. I think this is one of the first times you see the sort of bombshell character being portrayed as extremely competent and extremely intelligent. And that was, I think, pretty groundbreaking. So even though she has a little bit of a on-the-surface menial job, she doesn't treat it like it is, and she really transcends that. Cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah, she's very cool. And she's also allowed to be funny, which is also nice, too. Then there's Herb, played by Frank Bonner, and he's the sales manager. He wears clothes that make him look like he sells used cars. They're very loud. He is a big jerk and terrible at his job and just kind of a major problem. He constantly makes mistakes. Okay. (laughs) So I I don't have (laughs) much positive to say about him. Yeah. But the two final characters are great. Venus Flytrap is another DJ. He's played by Tim Reed and he does like the evening R&B show. He's very smooth. And there's a lot of stuff about race that kind of is around his character, but most of it is still very positive and doesn't come off poorly even now. Mm -hmm. So I think they were doing some really interesting things by having DJs of, you know, white and black on the show, portraying the fact that the gamut of popular music is diverse and that you, you know, can't have people working because he does have some like civil rights moments where he subverts some expectations and stuff. 
and people are respectful of all of that. So it's, I think it comes off mostly pretty positively. There are a few moments that caused me cringe in this watch. Hmm. But I did note the fact that, well, they are doing something groundbreaking here. And for the time, it was still pretty good. Cool. Okay. And then the final character is Bailey Quarters, played by Jan Smithers. And she does a couple of different jobs. She's kind of like, like the Jill of all trades. She does a little bit of news. She does editing. She does like production stuff. She does like paperwork things. And the thing that's cool about her is that she is shown to get along with Jennifer. There's several Bechtel test passing moments in the series between the two of them. They're shown to be friends, not rivals in any way, shape or form. She has this weird kind of little bit of a dating relationship with Johnny, even though he seems like he's almost too old for her. It's a little bit awkward, but she also seems like she's very intelligent. She doesn't really take any guff from anybody. And she's very, very progressive and tries to do things like unionizing the station and making sure that there's enough, like she does a lot of things that seem to promote protection of the station, diversity. She wants to do things with women in broadcasting. Like she's very like a go-getter for that, but she's also very, very, very shy. So sometimes she comes off kind of awkward. She's very relatable, basically. Like (laughs) she feels like the person that I understand the most, basically, like that would have been me. Okay. Yeah. She's a little bit of the audience entry point, I think. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just very silly. It's episodic. There's not really plot arcs. And it's a lot of like slapstick kind of and situational comedy. Like there's almost no moments of anyone being a villain. It's like every episode is just based on stupid misunderstandings and shenanigans they all come off really immature even though some of these people are in their 30s and 40s they're all just kind of you know struggling basically and i think it speaks to this idea of midwestern optimism not always being enough to make you very successful but it will create good relationships (laughs) I guess. Okay. And loyalty. And so anytime there's a big threat to the station, they all pull together and try to, you know, resolve the problem. Like if if the station owner is threatening to fire somebody, they all pull together to try to save that person's job, even if they're not very good at it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, again, there are things that are a little bit cringy, but not as much as you would think for this being as old as it as it is. Okay. So I think if you want something that is really fluffy, feel good, and mostly pretty self-aware and clever. Like it is very clever. Mm -hmm. It's good for that. And I think it just is, again, for being of its time, it's very well produced. And it's just silly. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's one of those like comfort shows, I think. So I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. But you do have to kind of like recognize the time period. And there the thing about it is most episodes are very silly, but there are a couple that are a little bit serious where serious mm-hmm. or sad or scary things happen. And I think that makes it feel a little poignant. It's filmed in such a way that it's got that feel of like looking like a filmed play. And so that okay. for that reason the more serious episodes come off like nicely. Like they don't feel very forced. Okay. And the the pacing is such that it's not frenetic, so they're not always going for the crazy joke. I will also say that the humor in this is often, I find myself laughing at jokes that are super dumb. Like, I'll be like, that's stupid, and I'll still laugh. Like, it's that kind of humor, usually. Yeah. 
But when they do get poignant, it's like, it's like really good and it doesn't come off treacly. And I'm actually working on a project about something that they dramatized in this in, this is kind of a sad story, but in 1979, there was a concert by The Who in Cincinnati and people were accidentally crushed to death trying to get into the Coliseum. And because this happened like about an issue that was super relevant to this show, they dramatized it on the show. And it was Mm -hmm. really pretty, I think, sensitively done. And it actually helped, for a while anyway, usher in the city of Cincinnati banning unassigned seating at concerts, Okay, which helped prevent that from happening again, Mm -hmm. at least not for a long time. So that's like, I can't even imagine that happening today, that a sitcom would have enough power to just by depicting something that happened that's a, a cautionary tale that it would have the power to actually impact real you know city ordinances basically Mm -hmm. but on a much lighter note one of the reasons that wkrp is still thought of today at all is because of its famous thanksgiving episode in season one where they famously (laughs) didn't realize that turkeys can't fly so they had this thing where they dropped a bunch of live turkeys out of a helicopter as a promotion and of course, the turkeys just fell to the like. They didn't show this happen. It was all like depicted as if there was a remote reporter on the scene watching it happen, and he's reporting it. And all you see is him. And then they cut to the studio of everyone listening to this in horror that the oh turkeys fell to the ground and all died. There's a famous line where he's like, "The turkeys are hitting the ground like sacks of wet cement," and he's like, "Oh, the humanity." So, <laughs> and oh around goodness. Thanksgiving, around on social media, people will frequently post like a, a short, you know, clip of parts of that episode as a celebration mm-hmm. of Thanksgiving. <laughs> no actual turkeys were harmed in that. But that's the okay, kind of humor. It's like absurdist. Yeah. It shows their incompetence. And it's like, I can't believe they would think this was a good idea. And it's also <laughs> a little bit like, oh, that's also really gross and terrible, but they don't do it in a way that makes it seem that gross or terrible so okay wow yeah yeah that's i'm gonna have to check that out (laughs) if nothing else that is a good episode to watch it's called the episode is called turkeys away (laughs) so look for that a lot of it is that some of it is available on i think hulu okay or amazon prime a lot of it is actually up on youtube One of the reasons it's a little bit hard to find sometimes, and you can often find it just on broadcast, like over the air, like retro channels or whatever. But part of the problem is that it used real music that was popular at the time. And some of the music rights issues made it hard to release beyond like a DVD release. Sometimes they've had to replace the music in certain scenes. But it also was really helpful with certain like indie and up and coming bands that were coming out at the time of the show. Like sometimes they would feature a song on the show and it would become a hit just from that. So cool. It is a little bit of a time capsule of like late seventies, early eighties rock music, which is pretty cool. So yeah. Yeah, that's really neat. Yeah. It's just really fun. So yeah, check it out. It's it's very, very light comfort watching, I think. Okay. Yeah, I will definitely do that. Okay. It's much different from what I've been watching. Yes. <laughs> like complete opposite end of the spectrum. Complete. But you've been watching Wheel of Time most recently, and I'm really curious mm-hmm. about this. So tell us about it. Yeah, I was really pumped for this one because I'm a big epic fantasy person, as you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> as anyone who listens probably knows. Yes. 
So this is a show from Amazon Studios and Sony Pictures, and it's based on a series of novels called The Same Thing, The Wheel of Time series, and they're by Robert Jordan, and it's 14 books. Robert Jordan actually passed away before he finished it, but Brandon Sanderson, with Robert Jordan's blessing, finished the last couple books of the series. I've actually only read the first two. I've listened to them on audiobook. The first one was a long time ago. And I got the second one this summer when I knew that the show was coming out. So I just kind of wanted to refresh myself a little bit. For me, I actually like the show better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The books are kind of, they're a little bit long and they're very typical fantasy, which is, could be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what you like to read, you know? Mm -hmm. But the series is show run by Rafe Judkins and... I read a little bit about how he sort of compressed some things from books two and three into season one as well. And I did see that just from reading the first two books. I could tell some of the things that he put into season one, which I think is a very interesting way of doing it. But anyway, the point, the plot is that (laughs) (laughs) it's set in a fantasy world where there's magic. The magic is called the one power and only women can channel it. There are women called Aes Sedai, and they learn to channel it. But the premise is that every woman has the potential, or like maybe a little bit of a little spark of it, um, but only some choose to become Aes Sedai. And then 3,000 years ago, the one power was cut off to men by what they call the Dark One, who has a name, but it's sort of the same thing like Voldemort and Harry Potter. No one will say the name. Mm -hmm. So they just call him the the Dark One. And basically, if men can channel, which a few of them can, the power is corrupted for them. So they end up going mad and usually end up very violent and killing all the people they love. So you don't see a lot of men with it. And the men who do have the power get chased down, basically, by (laughs) the Red Aes Sedai, and the power gets taken away from them. So, when we open, Moraine, who is played by Rosamund Pike, and she is really, really good in this. I would love her to be in any other fantasy show or movie that she wants to be in from here on out. She's really good. (laughs) (laughs) She is an Aes Sedai, a blue one. There are different colors, and they sort of do slightly different things. But most Aes Sedai have what's called a warder who is like a warrior who is bonded to them and they travel with them and protect them. And hers is Lan Mandragoran, who's played by Daniel Henney, and he is also very good. I'm just going to say that about everyone, probably. (laughs) They're all really good. (laughs) I don't think Daniel Henney has been in a lot of things. I was looking him up the other day, but I would love him to be in more things because he's really interesting, and I think he plays Lan... Uh, very sensitively and strongly. And I just really love their relationship because they trust each other so much. They've been together for like 20 years. And this whole time they've been working off this prophecy that Moraine heard 20 years ago about how what is called the Dragon Reborn has been reborn into the world. And there's prophecy that the dragon is going to either save the world from the Dark One or join the Dark One. So she's looking for 
whoever could be this potential dragon reborn. Mm-hmm. And it's called the Wheel of Time because everyone believes in this wheel. It's a literal wheel of time. Like, <laughs> like everything that goes around comes around. Like everyone will be reborn and reincarnated and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So time just kind of, it doesn't march forward. It just goes in a circle. Mm-hmm. So everything that has happened will happen and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That's where this belief that the dragon will be reborn into another body, basically. Okay. So when when the story opens, she ends up in this town, this little farming town called the Two Rivers. And she realizes that there are five young people who could be this potential dragon reborn. Mm-hmm. And... They are Nynaeve Almira. It's played by Zoe Robbins. And she is a little bit older than the others. So Moraine's like, it's probably not her. But then she turns out to be very powerful. So she's like, oh, maybe it is her. And then Egwene Alvier is played by Madeline Madden. Randall Thor is played by Joshua Stradovsky. Perrin Ibarra is played by Marcus Rutherford. And Matt Cawthon is played by Barney Harris. So... She shows up in this town and she's like, hmm, has anyone, has anyone had a birthday recently? Like, I'm looking <laughs> for people around 20 years of age. And they get tracked by the Dark One's followers who are called Trollocs. And they're sort of like orc-like monsters, but they all have heads of beasts and different things like that. So very typical fantasy, like minions of the Dark One, right? Mm-hmm. But they come and descend on their village, and Moraine and the others have to protect the village. And basically, the town gets destroyed. And in the morning, in the aftermath, Moraine's like, you guys have to come with me to the White Tower, where the Aes Sedai, it's the seat of the Aes Sedai, mm-hmm. because I think one of you is the Dragon Reborn, and like you're going to save the world. Or I hope you're going to save the world. <laughs> so it's very much a story of kids... They're not kids, they're young adults, but like being thrust into this big wide world of danger and good and evil and they have to navigate it and stick together and learn how to trust and they get separated at some points and it gets to be very emotional. But they go on this journey and the arc of the first season is that, yeah, Moraine wants to get whoever the dragon is ready for the final battle where they're going to confront the dark one and she's going to do whatever it takes to get them there and to save the world. And I won't tell you what happens at the end, but I will say that it's already been renewed for season two and it's based on 14 books. So you know that like, this can't be it. (laughs) This can't be the end. (laughs) So it really sets up stuff to come in the, in the next, next seasons. Cause I think they're, planning or hoping to have a very long run cool yeah we're gonna get into character stuff right now (laughs) so one of the things i love about it i was i actually just rewatched it so i've seen it all through twice and all of these characters like some of them can be annoying (laughs) they have been taken out of their village and thrust into danger and they're just like why are we following you you're gonna get us killed blah 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 and they all have moments of that, but at the same time, everyone understands the gravity of the situation, and they all willingly want to do 
good in the world. And I think that's really important because when this was announced, it got compared to Game of Thrones a lot, which now that I've seen it, it really bugs me because they're so different. And I feel like Game of Thrones was very dark and negative and sort of focused on shock value. And everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people in it were greedy or selfish or just, they were all about themselves or like their house, but not for the world in general. And I think it's so much different from Wheel of Time because Wheel of Time, all these characters are like, we have to save the world. And I know like maybe that can get sort of cliche. And I think a lot of people are over that sort of fantasy. Mm-hmm. And that's why we slid so far toward antiheroes and stuff. Mm. But it really is, especially in today's world, very refreshing mm-hmm. to see people who are like, I'm going to go do this hard thing, not because I want to, but because it's the best thing for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not doing the easy thing and going back home just to save themselves. I love that, personally. Yeah. <laughs> it's really nice to see characters like that who are honorable and hopeful. Mm-hmm. And kind of along with that, one of the things that I really appreciate about this show is that the characters are all allowed to be emotional. Like, there are very traumatizing things that happen. Like, they lose their family members, they lose each other at, at points, and there are always moments where they can, like, slow down and talk to each other and grieve for each other and be emotional without having, like, it's not something that equates being emotional with being weak. Mm-hmm. It's just like, yeah, these people have been through trauma and they're allowed to be sad sometimes and they're allowed to have moments of doubt before they go do this big dangerous thing that might kill them. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really lovely to see all of their relationships and how they all come together and mesh and support each other and they all have different strengths and yeah, I don't know. I just really I just really really love it. I've always loved character-driven drama or character-driven fantasy, so this really hits all my boxes, mm-hmm. checks all my boxes, hits all my buttons. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what the phrase is. <laughs> and I saw there's a there's a writer on Twitter who I follow, and I honestly don't remember. Her first name is Bree. I don't remember her last name, but um, she has tweeted some great commentary on this because it was one of our favorite book series. Mm-hmm. And I think one of my favorite things that she had talked about was that it's kind of like Moraine and Lan like accidentally adopt these five kids (laughs) (laughs) and sometimes they're very exasperating but at the end of the day they they all love each other you know Mm -hmm. so yeah it's just it gives me a, a hopeful good feeling as opposed to like watching other sort of dark fantasy that it just reminds me that people are terrible you know yeah yeah Yeah. so I don't know if I would recommend it to you personally Mm -hmm. i think you would like the tone of it but i know you're not like a super big epic fantasy person so i don't know yeah but i like i like what you're talking about with the the more positive spin on heroism like i like that and i do like rosamund pike Mm -hmm. one of the first movies i watched this pass in 2021 was 
her dark <laughs> movie about how she was exploiting the elderly. Oh my gosh, yeah, that, that was, was much much different role. <laughs> and then of course, Gone Girl and stuff. Yeah. So it would be nice to see her playing a hero. Like I like that I idea do. and the emphasis on the feminine and stuff. And like that's all good. I will say that Wheel of Time generally was a little bit soured on me because I was actively working in a bookstore when some of the last books were coming out and customers were like it was like harry potter level of like where's the new blah blah and they were also like like door stops and i just felt like ugh. Right. and i was constantly shelving them and it just like I'm like i'm never reading these these are awful but i never <laughs> i fair. never read them so i don't know and you know it's it's easier maybe to contemplate watching a show yeah for sure yeah so i might check it out yeah, I think I think you should at least watch one or two episodes. Okay. It's only eight episodes total, so it's really not a big time sink if you end up not liking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And one other thing I do want to mention is I think going into it, they sort of heard the criticism of past fantasy shows about how they weren't very diverse. Mm-hmm. And I think they made a conscious decision to cast more diverse, more diverse actors. Mm-hmm. And I think it really works. I think they're all great. It's awesome to kind of see everyone in the background being of different colors and different backgrounds and stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't think they fully succeed at some points, Mm. but I think they made an effort and I really appreciate that. And I hope they'll only continue to get better for season two. Cool. That sounds really good. Yeah. If you do try it, let me know if you like it. If you don't like it, don't let me know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I might anyway, but not no no shame. We're all different. <laughs> yes, that's that's true. But we both watched a movie not too long ago, and we both really enjoyed it. So it's not like we don't have any overlap with what we like, because I do. I think we have a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and that was Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is one of the latest MCU movies. Were you familiar with with the character before going into this film? No, I wasn't. Okay. Were you? No, not really. Okay. I think I read a little bit about him before it came out just to kind of get a little bit of basis. Because unlike other Marvel Cinematic Universe films, they did not feature Shang-Chi in anything else as like a supporting character before he got his own film. So that was a little bit different, which I think is also great, though. And and I think that Mm -hmm. some things kind of hint toward his more inclusion within like the larger Avengers verse or whatever. So yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to give a little plot rundown, just kind of the setup? I can try. Yeah. It's a little bit complicated. <laughs> it's very complicated. And we both, I think, watched it a little a little while ago. Yeah. I looked, I watched it at the beginning of December. So I'm okay. starting to forget small details. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's see, where to start? Sean. Sean is played by Simu Lu, who is very winning and charming. I thought mm-hmm. he was excellent, mm-hmm. and I'm excited to see more of him in the MCU. He lives in San Francisco, mm-hmm. and he has best friend Katie, played by Aquafina, and they work as valets, and they're sort of typical 20-something underachieving people who like to go sing karaoke and do things like that and they've they've got friends who are like settled and married and that felt very familiar to me (laughs) it's kind of of like oh yeah i haven't figured out my life either that's okay (laughs) 
so they're hanging out in the city and they get attacked by members of the Ten Rings organization. And then all this stuff spirals out that Sean is really Shang-Chi and his dad was the leader of the Ten Rings organization. His dad is immortal, which is... (laughs) That's a lot to take in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And... The Ten Rings are like these special magical rings that you could put on your arms and they'll give you powers and stuff like that. And his mom was a protector of this ancient city, this magical city. I actually don't remember what it's called. I don't remember either. I'm trying to. Okay. I'm trying to find it. I'm trying to find it. It's hard. So basically his past is coming back to get him because his dad wants him back. And he goes on this journey. He finds his sister, who has also left his father. They've all kind of been estranged from each other. And his father is after their mother's ancient hidden village. Talo. I just found it. Talo. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, so he wants his kids at his side when he goes and finds their mother in Talo, and their mother is dead. So they, I am not explaining this well. No, but it's like, they're all on this quest, but the dad is kind of evil, sketchy, absent, creepy, immortal. The sister (laughs) is kind of like, she has gone her own direction being like fight club leader and martial artist. And Shang-Chi has like left all of that. Like he's way trained in this, but he Mm -hmm. deliberately kind of turned his back on all of it for this quieter life and he's being pulled back in and I think that was like it's this story of really like familial reunification but the resistance and like a lot of family trauma I think is essentially what we is the core thing that I think is the takeaway so yeah I don't know that we all we need to even focus too much on these plot details and there's a lot of really cool martial arts there's a lot of quippy, fun moments that are cute between Shang-Chi and Katie, and also between everyone and this character, Trevor Slattery, played by Ben Kingsley, which he was in Iron Man 3 as this very problematic character, but he's back, and I think they're kind of trying to, like, redeem him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he's And there's this, like, creature. I don't remember what it is. There's this little cute creature that Trevor hangs out with that's from the Lost Village. He's like a, it's an ancient Chinese real, like, mythical creature, but... It, yeah, Wikipedia calls it a hundun. Yes. It's a legendary faceless being. Mm-hmm. But it's adorable. hmm <laughs> I never thought I would think that something without a face was cute, but it's very <laughs> kawaii style. Like, it's really adorable. Yes. And also, Aquafina as Katie is, she's our real audience you know, insert character, and she is hilarious and lovable and just, like, tries really hard, and she goes from this kind of slacker in the beginning, this sarcastic, you know, sidekick, to, like, actually fighting alongside people and training herself within a matter of days to be, like, an archer and all this, and it's like, wow, you know. Yeah. She's really fun. She is fun, yeah, and I I want to say that I actually really appreciated that this movie focused on a pair of friends. Like, mm-hmm. Shang-Chi is obviously the main character. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. But along with reuniting with his sister and making amends with her, you also see that, you know, one of the strongest relationships in his life is his best friend. And I just, I don't know. I just, that really made me happy Yeah, because I don't think you see that very often. No. And she's not, she is a sidekick, but she has her own sort of arc. And by the end of it, like she's going off with him onto the next adventure Mm because you know that they're better together. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. And they're not a couple and she's, you know, not trained as much as he is, but you get the sense that she's probably going to be. And one of the other most powerful characters is Ying Nan, who is Shang-Chi's aunt, played by Mm -hmm. the amazing Michelle Yeoh. And, you know, she's well known as a wonderful martial arts actress, and she does not disappoint here. And most recently, she was on Star Trek Discovery as this kind of quasi, like, anti-hero character who was really like, troubled and just, like, kind of fell apart by the time she left that show. And Yingnan is so much more of a clear hero and great and sort of gentle. And so it was really nice to see her playing a different kind of character. So I really loved her. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to shout out Zhao Ling as well, Shang-Chi's sister, who is okay. played by Menger Zhang. I thought her story was really interesting and intriguing. And I actually hope they do more with her uh-huh. in the future. But I thought I mean, she's she kicks butt and mm-hmm. is very cool. <laughs> yes. And I liked her a lot. I read that she did especially a lot of MMA training. Like her fighting style is different than Shang-Chi's a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of tell that. And I'm not a big like, I don't really understand martial arts or MMA or anything. But yeah. I thought that was an interesting <laughs> choice they made to have them fight a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And also, just as a side note, if you want more Simu Liu uh, he guest stars on the current season, the most recent season of Selling Sunset as himself looking <laughs> to buy a house from one of the real estate agents on that show. So, oh my goodness. Yes. He is a client <laughs> of Chriselle on Selling Sunset. And it's okay. They sort of are flirty with each other, which is adorable. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to go check that up, episode out. Yes, you should. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> But yeah, I and you know what, I actually think sometimes Aquafina can be a little bit irritating, but she is not in this role. And I hope that she kind of does more like this. So yeah, it was really fun. Great. I'm glad we both liked it. Yeah. I'm really excited that the MCU is diversifying uh-huh. and telling different kinds of stories. So I'm excited to see where Shang-Chi as a character goes and what what sort of movies and tv shows he's in yeah you know what i feel like even though at the beginning of our episode today we said these are very different you know what there's a common thread of likable people trying to be better in some way and also that we're praising some level of diversity in each show Mm -hmm. and i think that you know they do it better or worse to differing degrees but that there is a progression here and um i just hope that that sort of continues regardless of genre. Absolutely. All right. Well, next week we'll be discussing the TV series Station Eleven and Hawkeye, and we'll be making our reading and writing goals for the new year. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find me on Twitter at Carrie Gessner. And you can find me on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. And you can find the show on Twitter at Pause Pop Podcast.
If you want to email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. You can also find the show's website at positivelypopculture.com. And from there, you can find the link to our merch store. And please rate us and review us on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. <laughs>